This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to the Friday Twilight Show with me, Claire Cannon. This is my first week here on Teachers Talk Radio, and I'm starting off with a discussion about school dogs and how they can support the well-being of pupils and also staff. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. Thank you for joining me. Um, today I'm discussing all things school dogs. Um, how they can help support students with SEND and also how they support well-being throughout the school. Um, I'm joined by two guests, Maxine and Helen, thank you, I can see you are already here, um, to have a bit of a chat about school dogs and what you've done with them in your schools and the impact that they've had. Um, Later on in the show, I'm also going to be thinking about the why in terms of the need to support well-being at all. So, uh, why school dogs? Um, There is a lot of evidence, um, some of it anecdotal, some of it research-based, which I'll explore later on, pointing to the benefits of having dogs in schools. Um, We all know that there are lots of conversations at the moment about the well-being of students and also staff. Um, That's really, really important. There are well-known issues around recruitment and retention um, and anything that we can do to try and support with those is really really important. Um, Working myself in an alternative provision um, also seeing a huge increase in people with SEMH needs um, that have struggled in mainstream um, and know that whether you're working in mainstream or whether you're working in alternative provision or elsewhere there's a massive lack of services and we are all looking at ways to find new cost-effective measures that will support our students and staff. I'll keep going back to those as well. Um, So I would just add here that both of my dogs do come to school with me. Um, They may think this show is about them, so I'm making no apologies now if they decide to make a contribution in the background. Um, And if you would like to make a contribution, if you are listening live, um, please do text in. I'd love to hear from you um, about any of the points we're discussing this evening. So, um, a little bit of a a background and some information. And then, uh, Maxine, I will come to you in a little while, if that's okay. see you are there and sorting out your microphone. Um, So, emotional support, first of all. We are seeing a huge amount of students struggling with their emotional regulation. Um, And we know that, you know, animals can provide a huge amount of support and comfort um, for people who are struggling. And that's, you know, that is anecdotal. There are schools who are saying, you know, we've had our dog in, um, the students have responded really well. But there is also some evidence now saying that 
school dogs or other animals can really help to reduce stress and anxiety levels. Um, and I was reading a study the other day from the National Autistic Society um, who have a study out online and they have trained a dog that's called Ozzy and Ozzy is going into a specialist setting and they talked about the pupils being smiling, they're calm, they're relaxed um, and the students just responding really well to an animal that's not given any judgment, it doesn't mind if they're stressed, if they're reading to the dog, it doesn't mind if they say the wrong word um, and it was just a way of those students finding a connection um, that perhaps they find really challenging with a human being. Um, and to quote from their case study, when they were asking staff about what difference it's made, the staff said the most obvious impact is on regulation. Pupils who are in crisis see Ozzy coming and immediately you see their awareness of him and the worry that a noise might upset him. This changes the way their behaviour presents. In the simplest sense, he is an immediate distraction. Um, and he is, you know, it's really interesting reading that because that's something I've definitely seen myself with my dogs coming into school. Um, work, as I say, working in an alternative provision um, and seeing myself, a student who was out and about in the corridor, really couldn't settle, was quite visibly angry. Um, but just couldn't verbalise why this was or what had happened to, to cause them to feel the way they did. Um, there was nothing that staff had been able to identify earlier in the day. And the dog just went up to the student, students saw him coming, stopped. Um, the dog went up, put the head on the student's lap and just that gentle pressure seemed to kind of be a bit of an off switch for that student, soothe them um, and their body sort of physically settled down as well as their emotions and then they had a chat with the dog and we were able actually to resolve the issue that had caused the student to feel the way they had. So that is just one way um, that dogs may be able to support in schools. Um, there's also some specific programmes um, to do with reading. Um, dogs are often involved in getting students who are reluctant readers to try and engage them. And just, again, it's that sense of connection with something who's not a human and also somebody or, you know, an animal that's not passing any judgment on what they might say um, and any mistakes they might make. So current research, I was doing a little bit of reading, um, not with my dog, um, but I was doing a bit of reading. And although the research is sort of in its infancy and studies at the moment quite small scale, um, they are quite promising. Um, so Hall and Co. 2016 um, suggested that while the dogs are maybe not having a direct effect on the ability to decode words, to sound out phonics, um, what they do do is they create that positive environment. And that really does feed into what um, you know, we've heard already about the emotional support, students being able to settle and just being able to calm and be ready to engage in an activity. Um, and I also found some research from the Book Trust. Now, they said that although younger children um, 
sort of enjoyed reading to dogs just because it was a, a nice thing to do. Um, to quote from their research, older children actually benefit more because they are more aware of their struggles with something that their friends find easier. And their problems with reading are overlaid with issues of inadequacy or anxiousness. And that often shows us rejection of reading as something which they will phrase as we didn't want to do anyway. But reading to a dog, because it's new and doesn't have that threat attached to it, um, that can help to break down some of those barriers. Um, and you know, if you are interested in school dogs and how to get them into your school, um, a quick search online will bring up a number of organisations and schemes that schools can sign up to. Um, and the trend does seem to be for schools to start having their own dogs um, rather than bringing them in um, from elsewhere. Um, now, on the subject of bringing dogs in from elsewhere, I'm going to take a very quick break and then hopefully we'll hear from Maxine, if you're ready with your microphone, um, to talk all things school dogs in a short while. Vet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laurel Carner, Baroness Fluella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Okay, good to hear from some of our uh, sponsors there. So welcome back to the Friday Twilight Show, um, talking all about school dogs and how they can support with well-being. Um, hopefully, I'm able now to welcome Maxine, um, thank you Maxine, to talk about how school dogs um, can work and from your previous role as a head teacher, Maxine, um, introducing a dog into your school. Um, which I think was about six years ago now, so it was still quite a new thing to do. Um, hi, Maxine. <laughs> hi, Claire. Can you just check that that's okay without too much feedback? 
I can hear you loud and clear, Maxine. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Right, brilliant. Um, Claire, yes, it was wonderful to welcome a school dog into a middle school setting. Um, not something that I'd ever considered before. Um, although, you know, obviously if somebody who, who likes dogs and has, you know, known that the benefits personally of, of owning a dog and, and having a dog and, and being quite dog friendly. Um, but yes, it was, it was great to, to start having a dog in school. That's really interesting as well that, um, you say about you are quite dog friendly. So, um, I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. We did work together. So I'm hoping um, that's not a problem. And possibly, Maxine, you being dog-friendly made my job easier when I was talking to you about bringing them into the school. Um, but I'm just curious what your initial thoughts were on having a dog um, around and about the building. Well, um, being you know, quite risk averse as, as a human being and also as a teacher the first thing is to to make sure you've got and my advice to anybody would be to make sure you've definitely got you've done your your thinking your background thinking into this and have done all of your risk assessments made sure that's really clear so that you know what's going on here um i would was really pro having dogs in school you know personally but um there are some people out there who don't like dogs um, and, you know, who don't think that dogs are the most wonderful in the thing in the world. Obviously they are wrong. Um, but when you're, when you're working and running a school, you do have to respect those opinions. And so, um, you know, I, I was really excited about it, but um, those sorts of concerns were there. How can we make sure, how can we be really, really clear that this is going to be safe to have a dog in school? And, you know, I, I knew the dogs well, and I, I knew the, the dog in question, your dog, Claire, um, the wonderful Celt, and knew he was a safe dog. But how do we go beyond that? And how have we got some proof that he is suitably trained and has got a third party to do that, that sort of assessment? So that that was the first thing really um to think of, of as a head teacher and obviously something like the pets as therapy assessment means that you know that somebody suitably qualified has also been a third party assessor for that dog and knows that they've got the right temperament that they've been through those sorts of tests and that that that's fine um the other thing that i thought as a head teacher when you're you're thinking about running a school and you know, whilst you can't, um, but you can't please all the people all the time. Um, you know, the, there's one thing that I learned as a school leader is you definitely can't please all the people all the time. But it is really important to listen to the views and opinions of people. So going out and consulting with the other staff to see how they felt about a dog coming into school and also writing to parents to say, this is the plan. This is what we've done to prepare for this and to making sure that, you know, making sure that they really know how carefully you've thought about the idea of inviting a dog into school. Um, making sure you are also making parents know why and, and staff and children as well. Important to consult children, but making sure they know why. Um, and then listening to what their views and their concerns are. Um, and. You know, it might be that they they bring things to the table that would make you think actually 
okay, so right at the moment, a dog isn't the right thing. So, you know, I was really, really, really clear that you you can't just run ahead with something, even if you think this is a great idea and it's really, really good. Um, In our our case, the the feedback to that initial consultation was really positive. Um, And the, the few concerns that came up around things like allergies, or around some children and some staff that were a little bit nervous about dogs. We then factored that into the into our plans and, and gave feedback to those people and checked that they were then going to be all right with it um, before we then went ahead. My, my other thoughts as well, Claire, and sorry going on a little bit about this, is obviously if it is, if it is a dog that belongs to a member of staff, um, when you're a school leader, you're you're going to have to start thinking about, well, how is that going to impact on that member of staff's other work? Because the dog is going to need looking after, and, and you know it might be that that member of staff has to alter when they when they take their breaks to make sure the dog's exercised, and you know all those sorts of considerations. So it, it was quite a big thing to think about, even though obviously my first instant instincts my first thoughts were yeah wow dog in school yes let, let, let's just go <laughs> there is more to it than that and there, there are things for people to think about thank you Maxine and uh, knowing where your office used to be it meant you had a dog <laughs> in school not just outside walking yeah. by on the footpath yeah and um, yeah. so yeah lots lots to think about um that's interesting actually hearing all of that back again because it has been a long time um, since we had those conversations um so once we had sort of got past, or you'd got past the sort of questions, queries, consultation mm. phase, um, what, as a school leader, what did you hope that the positives would be of having a dog in the school? Yeah, so again, that's really important with, with anything to think about the why. Why why are we doing this? What are the benefits for children? Um, and I knew what benefits having a dog as a child had brought to me you know that that relationship with someone that you can talk to that you know doesn't necessarily answer back um but is ultimately one of the most amazing listeners you can ever ever speak to and the the whole sort of idea of that that calming that a dog can bring and just how positive and how enjoyable it can be I, i wanted children to really feel that firsthand if they could if they maybe hadn't had much chance to have experience around dogs before because many children don't it's it's a huge commitment having a dog and whilst you know since we've been through covid so many more families do seem to have got jobs uh, got dogs rather um but at the time there were certainly many many families that didn't so just that sort of experience of what having a dog would be like um and then the the benefits that that would obviously bring into how they would behave how they would conduct themselves as that sort of therapeutic um area around around dogs i also um wanted i wanted them to read um you know i wanted children that were reluctant to read to adults to have a go at reading to a dog um, and just give that, that opportunity because dogs are amazingly non-judgmental, which is why talking to them is so powerful. And I think, again, whilst it's wonderful that we always give children feedback on how well they're reading and, you know, we give that positive praise, 
Yeah. Um, children sometimes can find that quite um, intimidating to have to read to, to an adult human being. So I, I wanted them to be able to read to a dog. And, and um, I know that there is, there is some research and there's, there's some proof around the fact that that can improve confidence with reading. Um, and so they were they were a couple of the key things that I really wanted to have that sort of regulation and positive feeling around dogs and also the reading element. And that that bit about the reading, I think, has, has come through in quite a few sort of different studies and examples mm. now. Um, what about this is my old Senko hat on as well, but what about specifically students with SEND with things like autism and, mm. and ADHD obviously you know we were we're seeing as a school that there was a huge upward sort of trend in the numbers of students experiencing those kind of needs and, and difficulties so just wondered how that tied in with the dog as well yeah um I mean I, again I um absolutely always confess to not being an expert on all things send but yeah we know that there is a, a a clear link between particularly autism and um, gaining benefit from spending time with animals such as dogs. And you know, it, it is all around that, that that whole area of that suitable relationship and just having a nice dog person that's with you. So again, yeah, that was, and it does make sense that the dog is going to spend the, the bulk of its time in the area of you know, in the area of the school where um, a, a lot of the base around special educational needs are, is, is focused. So that, again, yeah, definitely a really, really useful consideration. I remember thinking back, actually, I remember you saying about the dog being in that sort of base area. Mm. Um, and sometimes you'd walk through and it was almost like the dog was in charge. Yeah. Um, and looking after the students who were are in it, obviously there were staff present, but you know the cult was sort of the star of the show. Um, <laughs> I, I think one of the yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think one of the best moments, you know, one of my real memories of of having a dog in school was was an occasion where there was um, th there had been a group of students who had, had been really, and again, there was a wonderful provision set up for a group of students who were really struggling on the playground. And that's not uncommon, is it, for, for children with SEND to, to really struggle in unstructured times. And this, this was a big school with 700 children. Um, and, uh, it, you know, playgrounds are busy places. And, and when schools grow, quite often they get more classrooms, but they don't necessarily get more playground space and it just becomes more and more crowded. So the, there had been an increased need for this provision. And the teaching assistants had been doing a really good job over time. But there was one particular day that I just walked through and th there was just something about the atmosphere in that room and the sense of joy and calmness that I and absolute total engagement with the individual at the middle of the room that just caused me to stop and pause and it, it wasn't an adult the adults had, had really taken a back seat actually and you know one of them was actually watching from from through some glass and, and others were were in the room but really at the side and it was the dog at the centre of the room who the children were really engaging with. And um, again, he'd got that sense of, of presence. It did. It, for that moment, when I looked in there, I thought, 
the, the dog is the teacher in charge in this room. And it, it was just, you know, absolutely amazing and totally, yeah, the presence that that, that particular wonderful trained pets as therapy dog held was was pretty awesome so yeah that created one of those definitely one of those wow um teacher memory moments for your for your memoirs as a as a former head teacher <laughs> the day the dog was in charge <laughs> well he did actually go and sit in your office a few times so yeah he's yeah he's currently squeaking at me from downstairs <laughs> shut him out so he doesn't get too close and bark um so, you know, the dog was, was brought into the school for the benefit of the students. That was the big sort of mm. reason behind that was the why. Um, but I was just wondering whether you felt there were some any sort of unexpected outcomes, if you like, in terms of staff well-being or other students who weren't necessarily allowed to have direct contact with the dog but might have somehow had a sort of secondary benefit. Yeah, I mean, there were there were many occasions when um, Kelt found his way into the, the office and would be really enjoying lots of fuss. And, and again, that, that same magic of really raising the mood in the room, you know, making it really purposeful, yet calm, um, and you know, people really feeling engaged was was definitely something that I felt in other rooms and, and areas where wherever he travelled with the adults in the room. Of course, some adults and the same as some children aren't comfortable with dogs, and where with children, um, you know, it, it's often the case that they're not comfortable, and they'll soon change their views. Adults can be less likely to do so. So with adults, adults that weren't so keen on the dog, I don't know how many uh, were really won round. But there were certain instances where he made various visits to different offices, you know, mine. So, for example, um, deputy heads, um, the, the admin offices. And, and also um, there were many people who used to take the time to come and, and find and, and have a visit to him as well so yeah definitely definitely see that the adults enjoyed their time with with the school dog and with with him as a visitor so that's you know that's great and it's been really interesting um just coming and doing a couple of visits in your new setting um claire and just seeing just the same again seeing him with with students and with pupils um uh, I've thought actually, yeah, you've been to visit us, haven't you? And, yeah. and thank you for doing so, actually. It's been lovely <laughs> to have you over. Um, yeah, he's, he does like to be the star of the show. Um, he definitely had his favourite offices, some of them, I think, because they contained people who fed him drinks. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely led by his stomach, that dog. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, it's interesting seeing him going round, and he, he doesn't seem phased and that's another question that that comes up and you sort of mentioned earlier on about you know the welfare of the dog as well as mm. for the students um that was yeah, a sort of key consideration um i was just sort of before i let you go if you want to dash off enjoy the rest of your evening um but I just wondered if you had any final thoughts on you know school dogs and any any schools out there who might be thinking of bringing a dog into their setting yeah um i mean certainly obviously i'm going to start that with a with a huge sell and say really really think about 
inviting a dog into your school in the, in the way that you think it will help. Um, and again, there are various ways of doing that. There are pets as therapy, visitors, and you can get you can get dogs to come in. I know Claire, you've mentioned that already. Um, if there's a way that you can have a more regular dog who's in your school more often, that can also be really really positive. So my advice to any school leaders who are, are thinking of embarking in this would be have a really good chat with others who've done it before um again you know twitter's a great place to find those your local area lots of people will talk about what they've done be really thorough on your risk assessments and on your consultation um be really really mindful um again the whole idea about school dogs and and who owns the dog uh, a, a little cautionary tale that can be a little bit complicated and obviously some staff do then move on the dog is usually the property of one particular member of staff who is allocated so things like that can be a little bit complicated from a um, you know ex-head head teacher speaking there that that sort of boring organizational matters but it can have a bit of an impact so do do your due diligence, really think carefully about how that's going to work. But again, it really worked well when, um, particularly when the dog is owned, the, the fabulous school dog is owned by somebody whose role it is specifically to work with students who are going to have a great area of need. Or, you know, there are other cases where I know there are pastoral support leads who have a dog that's a pets therapy dog that comes in and works with them. Or when it's a dog that's owned by somebody who works in admin who can take responsibility for it for yeah. some of the time and then it's got that, that all organised. But again, from that school leadership perspective, make sure your agreements are really well thought out, really watertight, that you've thought about everything, you know, the dog well-being, when's the dog going to take breaks, how many days a week is the dog going to work, all those sorts of things, um, and then consult and then, you know, see the benefits, see, see children reading really really confidently see the the impact that that actually has on on standards and you know on children's ability to read and access the curriculum when it increases their confidence and you know see children being more regulated and, and getting the benefits that come from that um, and again if you ever walk through and and find a classroom where the, the dog's doing the teaching you'll you'll enjoy that you'll you'll remember that for the rest of your rest of your career and it'll go in your memoirs so yeah do it talk to somebody sort it properly but really recommend it wow maxine thank you very very much for joining me um, you're very welcome nice to hear you yeah, it's lovely to speak to you too, and thank you for supporting me on my first show. Still slightly scared, but I'm getting there. <laughs> You're doing a great job. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, thank you again, Maxine. And um, Helen, I can see you are there ready to join in. Um, just going to have a very quick break, and then we'll hear from you about your role um, and how you came into teaching and what you're doing with school dogs. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Maths is in the news again according to the BBC News website. This time the story is about the pass rate for GCSE resits in the subject. 
November results show 22.9% of maths entries were marked at Grade 4 or above, down from 24.9% in 2022 and 26.9% in 2019. In contrast, the pass rates for GCSE English resits rose to 40.3%, up from 38% in 2022 and 32.3% in 2019. In England, under-18s must retake the GCSE in English and Maths if they did not achieve a minimum of Grade 4. The resits for the recent November series were marked, like the summer 2023 exams, back in line with the pre-pandemic levels. Prior to the exams, some colleges reported they were having to expand class sizes and hire additional exam space to cope with rising numbers of pupils retaking the two subjects. Those sitting the subjects in November are only a subset of the total resitting, as some pupils will not take the tests until the summer. The fall in the maths pass rate comes after government announced plans to replace A-level and T-level qualifications with a new advanced British standard, which would include some English and maths up to the age of 18. Whilst the arrival of the new Ofsted chief made many headlines across media outlets, Schools Week focused on tech issues which prevented many inspectors from accessing training. All inspectors working in schools, FE, social care and early years were due to attend mental health awareness training led by Sir Martin Oliver, which was around 3,000 staff. However, it was announced that Ofsted had experienced some technical issues and that fewer than 1,000 inspectors were able to actually access the online sessions. Ofsted did say that a recording was available so those not able to attend would watch it back. Inspections, paused for the start of the new term, will resume on the 22nd of January. They were not paused in early years settings. Attendance is in the news again and looks set to be a key focus for all political parties as a general election approaches. In a recent speech to the Centre for Social Justice, Shadow Minister for Education Bridget Phillipson said Labour would pass a law to register and count the children taught at home, adding that it was important that local authorities know where children not in school are. Plans also included setting up more breakfast clubs. The current government has proposed similar in its schools bill, but this and many other aspects were abandoned at a later date. However, New attendance hubs are being launched in London to help reduce persistent absence. The DfE has chosen nine schools with excellent attendance rates to share ideas with others across England. An advertising campaign called Moments Matter Attendance Counts was also launched. Although some aspects drew criticism from some quarters, concerned that the campaign sought to minimise mental health issues. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said, tackling attendance is my number one priority. In Wales, teachers at a high school are striking over poor behaviour of pupils and NASUWT in Wales say there are now six schools in dispute over classroom safety. Teachers in Scotland have also raised concerns about deteriorating behaviours. The TES magazine featured an article by Bill Rogers, behaviour consultant, university lecturer and author. The article focuses on possible reasons for what teachers report as deteriorating behaviours in schools and strategies to improve things. These include focusing on describing and insisting on the behaviours needed for all to learn. Also using clear assertive language and calling pupils to account for their behaviour, 
the full article is available online. Finally, the BBC has run an article on the news website focusing on how children and adults can stay healthy at the start of the new term. Officially, January marks the start of the spring term, but winter bugs like norovirus and flu are likely around for several months yet. The article focuses on five top tips, regular hand washing, regular cleaning of high contact areas, staying at home for serious illnesses such as high fever, vomiting or diarrhoea, vaccinations where necessary or applicable, and using the NHS online services to keep informed or to seek advice. Hopefully, a healthy new year will lead to a happy start to the spring term. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Okay, some uh, interesting bits in the news there about um, attendance and um, some of the resits around GCSE. So lots of lots of things coming up um, over the next few weeks and months. Um, but going back to school dogs, um, Helen, I can see you are here with us. Um, so. If you are able to connect, I hope you can, um, we'll be able to talk to you about your role in school and where you where you came from, because um, you weren't always in education, um, and what you are now doing with a dog in your setting. Uh, I don't know if we can get Helen um, to join us. can't see her just yet. Helen, if you are able to join us, it would be lovely to talk to you and if there's anybody else who's listening and wants to make a contribution uh, please do text in pop a message in the box i can see helen popping up right now fabulous thank you helen oh you've disappeared again i was about to invite you in and you've vanished off my screen hopefully helen will be back with us um in a minute there she is there we go helen um Helen, can you can you hear me? And hopefully we can hear you. Yes, can you hear me now? Ah, fabulous! Yes, I can hear you. Hiya. Brilliant. Okay, um, Helen, you uh, also work in a middle school, um, as it happens. Um, but you didn't always work in a middle school. Um, so, wondering if you could share with us a little bit about um, about you, not just now, but your previous career as well. Yeah, so I obviously started my working life leaving college um, um, as a veterinary nurse. So obviously animals have always played a really big part in my life. Um, I've always been around horses, very interested in horse therapy, um, as well as having dogs for most of my own life. So um, they've always been very important to me. And when I obviously had a break to have my kids and sort of fell into education, uh, that way uh joined uh teach as a teaching assistant down in london and i think i've done that for about 16 years now it's always always been interested in the role that animals could play um yeah. was very attitude uh, so very interested in sort of children's attitude towards animals um when i worked in a sort of um inner city school down in london it was quite clear to me that a lot of children don't have the sort of same experiences of animals or yeah. any sort of knowledge um, in the same way that I had. And yeah. I um, have always sort of been keen to 
get children interested in animals for because obviously for me it was always a benefit so um when i joined my current school up in central bedfordshire it was just one of those things that sort of came up in conversation and i had rescued our cocker spaniel about five years ago and she just seemed to be what i would consider an amazing therapy dog you know i don't it, yeah. it was just the observations i just kept making about howard you know she's just so calm so um you know well behaved but also <laughs> yeah. when um my son was autistic and he would be having difficult days i was just always impressed at how she sort of would take herself and lay on his bed when you know and it was, it was that sort of experience that just made me keep looking at her and just thinking gosh she'd be a really good therapy dog and just in conversation it came about with my senko that i was sharing that thoughts with her and realized it was something that she'd also wanted to explore and it sort of all yeah. kind of came from there so yeah so we you know it was, it was just something very keen to do because i want children to have that experience yeah. um so she started working with us about three years ago i think now i think it's been about three years so um and since we've done that as well i've had other things i've had other experiences where i've we've introduced chickens to the school which the kid loves so it's you know it's, it's just animals in general and i think during covid when we were open during lockdown we had goat races you know and um bizarrely goat races on the main field and it's just seeing kids faces um when they're around animals is is really rewarding for me yeah i definitely think you've taken it a step further there with the uh, with the chickens and goat races on the school field oh the goat racing was was a surreal moment i have to be honest but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting one it's yeah. like like uh, olympics for animals yeah <laughs> i love yeah. that yeah um so, I've just realised that I've managed to get two guests who are not just dog people, but horse people as well. So, and uh, interesting about your your Senko as well. So, it must be something in the central Bedfordshire air um, to do school staff and animals. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it would have been something I would have been able to necessarily do down in the inner city school because I think attitudes are very different there. But yeah, we've yeah. certainly embraced it here. And and I think when we, I mean, following on from Maxine, when she was said about um surveying the kids and you know we obviously we contacted staff parents uh prior to sort of bringing honey into school yeah and the we have about 700 odd children in school and i think i've only got six that have refused contact so you know the the, the general you know uptake and and you know children were very keen and in fact if anything i've got more emails you know can can my daughter spend time with with honey and it's she's probably in in high demand really <laughs> she's the one that they're all after yeah i mean like, um, no one ever says hello to me anymore it's always, it's always <laughs> the dog you know and i walk around school and i'm just the dog lady but yeah, yeah. So. Oh, i know what you mean because when i take my dog in people come running up going hello hello I'm like oh no they're not talking to me, <laughs> yeah, not me. And, and of course it's for me it's honey honey and it's yes yeah, don't worry <laughs> yeah. um i'm curious about the um, the other animals are they there all the time or so the, ch the chickens the chickens are now permanently stay there yeah that was a project we did um post lockdown hatching eggs you know the the sort of eggs incubator in school thing we had a live feed for children to watch and i cannot tell you how much the kids enjoyed that that was something that i really really didn't expect children to enjoy because obviously in our yeah. school we've got a provision classroom and really it was for those kids to 
you know, to sort of experience something, but actually ended up being the whole school watching this live feed. And I think on a hatch day, there was um, there was sort of cam set up on the, you know, webcam set up on the incubator. And I think, yeah. you know, it was just the whole school shut down for, oh, chicken, you know, egg number two is hatching. <laughs> and then um, the kids raised money to... Um, basically build an enclosure they didn't want the kids the chickens were supposed to go back to the farm but they didn't and um yeah so we ended up keeping the 10 chickens then and they um the kids have access to them weekly rotors so they come and help look after the chickens and so that was another thing that we introduced and that's that's something that's been very successful too as well chickens pay for themselves their eggs are sold mm. to staff to yeah. to buy the food but you know it's, it's nice to see kids having these sort of experiences yeah, well, that's brilliant. I think I might have to talk to you about paying a visit now. I have to come and see the chickens myself. Yeah. Um, so I was going to um, talk to you when we spoke about you joining me about the benefits of having a dog in the school, um, but perhaps sort of wider benefits. And I know sort of you've looked particularly at the students who do have SEN and on obviously Enco was, was keen to be involved. So have you got any, I know you can't share names and things, but have you got any specific examples of where you've seen real impact there so primarily i mean she, honey is based in our provision room and you know for us that's how it works for her it's not that she walks around necessarily she doesn't go to classroom she's not in sort of mainstream lessons as it were okay. she stays permanently based there so she's really with our children with SEND, you know um and she's sort of supporting them now um she's got a bed in the room and she just happily sits there and i think the primarily following you know what what Maxine said earlier is just watching kids read to her is just something children that do not like reading children that just are quite conscious of reading or yeah. you know that would not choose that will sit and read and they, they pull up a chair and they sit or she she hops on our sofa and the two sit together and she's listened to more stories than I can care to remember so <laughs> I think you know I think that for her is for, for us sorry is is a great um you know that's something that i've seen the biggest positive for i think for us our our idea behind our sort of classroom setting is really to make it a nurture space you know it's yeah it's for children that struggle um we've got children in SEMH that you know just don't find re find school really quite difficult and she really sort of removes some of that anxiety um so you have the, you know these children sort of fight to t take her for a walk and you know it's, it's that and it's it's just something that the children just absolutely love um yeah. you know and it's can she come and sit next to me so she jumps up on the chair and she sits next to them at their table and and um you know and they they just seem more engaged and more willing to work when she's around but i think the thing i hadn't necessarily expected so much is you know children that really struggle with that transition into school in the yeah. morning she she you know up with the lead and we go off to the car and and she just helps children walk in the door sometimes and that's actually you know quite a big achievement whereas i could spend hours standing out there um you know trying to persuade them of the benefit of school yeah. <laughs> uh, honey seems to do that a lot better than me and so i think that's one of the biggest benefits that i've seen um is yeah. just watching that with, with a lot of the children that she, and, and, and all children, you know, and, and also there were, we've had children that sort of initially refused on fear. Yeah. Um, and she's just so easygoing that by the end, you know, I've seen them walking her around or asking to walk her and, um, you know, and so that's also quite rewarding as well. 
And and interesting there about what you said, you know, honey can, can get a student into school, you know, in a way that, you know, they're, they're obviously coming in much, much calmer. They're actually in, um, as you said, that's an achievement in itself for some of them. And we know that there are huge issues at the moment around attendance um, and, and barriers to attendance that some students are really, really struggling with. So it's interesting that you found um, a sort of accidental benefit yeah. of having in school in, in addressing something that's, you know, a big priority, isn't it, for, for schools at the moment? Yeah, and, and it's, it's a difficult thing. And it's some, you know, something that a lot of our children struggle with. And, you know, parents find it incredibly hard, too, I think, don't they? You know, that... Um, yeah. The, you know that stress over the sort of morning transition getting kids into school and I think she's she has actually with certain students been quite useful in that um you know and as I say it was more accidental but um yeah I, I would I would strongly suggest you know that she helps make she helps reduce some anxiety and they're just taking the lead and having the opportunity to walk her in and yeah. um, they, you know, it just doesn't feel like you're walking straight into a classroom. They sort of go off and have a little walk for a while and then, you know, that's effectively end up in the classroom and, and that's been a great benefit. Yeah. So you're giving, giving them a sort of soft, soft landing into mm. the day um, to help them sort of get in and, and be ready for learning. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and you've obviously got the chickens, you've got the, the goat racing. That sounds fabulous. I love that. I mean, I would um, like to point out the goat racing was just a one-off. It was a, a one-off. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'd get part that past the head teacher now. Um, <laughs> oh, you never know. Worth a try. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was, it was a lockdown, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with our uh, vulnerable learners. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. yeah so. oh, it was a lovely idea, though. Was, um, yeah, def- definitely must have been fun to watch. Um, I'm just, you know, just curious now. You've, you've obviously established, you've got the dog established in school. Um, Honey is obviously known to a lot of students who are um, you know, coming into school with her. As you mentioned, her in your sort of nurture space. Just wondering if you have any any future plans for for new projects or anything else you'd like to try with with Honey's assistant. Yeah, I mean that's that's obviously the difficulty, isn't it? It's it's um, for Honey. It's Honey's age. You know, there's uh, I limit how many times she comes into school now. Yes. Um, so, so really, I mean, there, there's not any great plans for her moving forward in that she's just sort of happy and she's settled and she does what she does, um, which is just basically sit there and go for walks, which, I mean, she loves. Um, so, no, we haven't really got more plans. I don't think I'd get much more past, but I suppose, um, you know, I have discussed... I have discussed cows and horses, but I think that's a flat no. So, no, I mean, in terms of the dog, I think that's where we are at the minute, but... Yeah, um, she's very much settled. Yeah, and actually loves coming to school as well. So I couldn't ever, tr- I couldn't even hope to retire her because uh, <laughs> she she looks very disappointed in the mornings. I don't take her. Oh, um, as yeah, really, really interesting as well that you know I was going to ask you a bit about Honey and how you look after her. And you know, as Maxine said, there are concerns from the point of view as a school leader. Um, when you bring a dog into the school, particularly when they belong to a member of staff. So you've obviously thought about her not coming yeah. in. Every day, but Yes. So um, just from a point of view that I think that it's the, um, my senior leadership, you know, just say that it's totally down to me. So she's not timetabled for any sessions or days in particular. 
Yeah. So it's kind of as and when I feel. So maybe if she's had quite a long day, one day I might just choose not to bring her in the next day or she yeah. has shorter days. So it's a bit, for us, it's a bit more hit and miss. And that, therefore, I think meets her welfare needs in the sense that I'm never making her come in on days that she wouldn't. She would probably choose to come in every day, but as she gets older, obviously, she tends to, she, um, you know, sleep a little bit more in the afternoon. She looks absolutely yeah. wiped out sometimes when she leaves. Um, I think for her welfare point of view, it's really important that she has a, her own space and the kids have to respect that. That's, um, you know, yeah. it's under my desk. That That's a no-go. That means, you know, she's sleeping. And they've all really learned that quite quickly and picked up on that. Um, so there are just downtimes and, you know, she has to, um, and she has to have those. And then welfare, I just make a decision. So if she wasn't, if ever she wasn't well or, um, you know, she just wouldn't come into school. So yeah, um, that's kind of how we work it. We don't timetable it as such. It's more hit and miss. But I think obviously if there were two dogs, it might be easier, but, you know, she's sort of carrying the load. And I think for sort of, for her, five days a week would be too much me too much yeah right and and actually that that's similar to to my dog um he only ever does one day at a time so he'll he'll for example do a monday wednesday friday um but for the same reason he goes home he's very tired um and i, I think they take on quite a lot of sort of emotional load um mm. when they're working with the students who are struggling themselves um to regulate aren't they yeah, I mean, it's not always the calmest room in, in the sense. I mean, she just takes it on her chin. and But actually, I mean, the kids walk us so much. You know, she has so many walks. She comes out of break and lunch. And she yeah. really facilitates play between the kids as well. So she's, um, you know, they they sort of run around with her sometimes. And, and that's because she's just sort of able to do that. And that's um, that's lovely. Uh, but obviously, yeah, it's a, it's it would be a lot to do it every day. So Yeah, definitely. Um, and Helen, just before... I'll let, uh, let you head off. Um, thank you for joining me. I'm just wondering, again, um, in a similar way to okay, asking um, Maxine, but, you know, you've got honey there for the students, but has it had any impact on staff wellbeing as well? Yeah, I mean, 100%. So, like you said, I mean, I think Maxine was saying, I have actually delivered her to teachers, you know, when yeah. I've, um, I've, been, I've had emails, you know, can I just have a look, quick chat with honey? And I've delivered her. But I mean, I don't get anywhere down a corridor without various members of staff stopping me. Um, she's, you know, much more love than me. And I and I and I accept that. So, uh, yeah, no, she's staff love her, too, I think. Um, except I think I think she did eat, uh, I think, uh, one member of staff's chicken sandwich. But in fact, <laughs> it was a rather delicious chicken sandwich. So, um she could be forgiven, but I think that's the only time <laughs> she's proved a problem. Oh, well, I hope she enjoyed the chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's fine. So yeah, yeah. No, staff, staff do love her as well. So yeah, even if she does eat their lunch. Mm. Yes. Well, Helen, um, thank you very, very much for joining me this evening. Um, it's been great to hear from you and Maxine too. Um, about the different different things the dogs have done um, in a couple of different schools. Um, Maxine, a quick shout out to you because it is your show this time next Friday. So I'm just getting that in there. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time just going back to some of the research now about um, school dogs and some of the other sort of 
evidence-based studies around their, their impact. Um, so one of the one of the things that came up um, was actually around um, the release of things like oxytocin, um, sometimes known as the love hormone, but you know to do with promoting feelings of trust, promoting feelings of relaxation. Um, and there was actually a study, it was the National Library of Medicine in 2019, um, that found that contact with animals, not specifically in schools, just generally, um, you know, stroking them, being with them, having that sort of sense of, of touch, um, actually produces more oxytocin, um, not just in the humans, but actually in the animal as well, uh, which probably explains, apart from the chicken sandwiches, um, why the dogs like coming into school as much as they do. And it's interesting to hear from Helen um, that her dog, Honey, um, looks at her a little bit sadly if she gets left behind some days. Um, again, something I notice with, with Kelt, my dog, um, if I leave him behind, he looks at me sort of rather forlornly um, from behind the gate. But he'll go in another day, and I think he does know um, that when he's there, um, he's going to get all of the fuss and all of the attention that he loves to have. Um, some other interesting points that came up when I was doing some research was uh, not just around the interaction with the dogs, but positive shared memories. And interesting to hear from Helen about her previous experiences in an inner city school um, where those positive shared memories with animals weren't really there. Um, those students hadn't had the opportunity um, to be with animals and to, to see what that's like. So interesting that actually those, those memories can be built by spending some time with animals. Um, and the research talks specifically about walking a dog outside um, with a trusted adult. And actually, that's, that's a bit of a sensory break from an environment that a lot of students find very challenging. Um, there's lots of other research out there about being outside and, and how that can help to reduce stress and anxiety. But actually having the conversations with some of those pupils outside with the, the dog there to kind of facilitate that conversation um, actually led to them building a really strong relationship with an adult, um, which had lots of effects on things like the student's attendance the student's ability to regulate, and for some of them, just going into a lesson, um, sometimes for the first time, or staying in a lesson where perhaps in the past they had found that the whole lesson was too much and, and they were taking themselves off partway through. So there, there are lots of things that sort of are linked to having a dog in school that perhaps are not immediately apparent. Um, something else that came up, was um, the atmosphere around the school. Um, Maxine mentioned uh, walking through the learning support base, seeing the dog in the centre of the room and the sense of calm and the sense of purpose um, that that had. And again, going back to a study by the National Autistic Society, they found exactly the same. Uh, having a dog in a room helped to create just a really calm, relaxed environment but still had a purpose still had a goal um, and that the students who were in that room were really engaged in what they were doing 
And for some of them, they were almost doing two things at once. They were sitting there with the dog by their side. They were stroking the dog. And at the same time, they were completing whatever it was that they were working on. Um, and almost just having that kind of sensory feedback um, from the dog by their side was just enough to give them that um, sense of regulation and being able to focus on, on what they'd been asked to do. Um, and a bit of a bit of a personal anecdote here. Um, I've also taken my dog into meetings with parents, something new, um, something that, uh, again, working in alternative provision, there can be some quite challenging meetings at times um, and some quite difficult messages that need to be shared um, and with the families, with parents um, and sometimes with outside agencies as well. Um, on this particular occasion, it was to do to do with the behaviour um, that a pupil had demonstrated and unfortunately the subsequent consequences. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about how that message was going to be received um, and how the parent might might react to, to being given that information. Um, so I thought I'd try taking the dog along, see what happened. Um, and again, it was almost the same as having the dog in a classroom or with a student on a one-to-one. Um, he walked around the room, he said hello to everyone, um, and then he sat, he seems to know, and he sat by the parent um, and the parent was sitting there with their hand on his head. We had the conversation. There were a few questions, that's to be expected, but the message was delivered. Everyone went away, I wouldn't say happy, but they went away understanding what the message was, why it had to be what it was, um, and actually... You know, in, in, in agreement or at least consistent sort of everyone on the same page with the outcome. So that was a little bit of an experiment on, on my behalf. Um, but definitely something I will think about doing again if, if that arises. Um, so, yeah, interesting just to see how um, the dogs can help build those relationships and support those relationships, not actually just with the students, but with the staff too. Um, and, and visitors. Um, there are some potential concerns, and we've heard a few of those. And um, thank you again, Helen and Maxine, for sharing your thoughts on these, particularly around fears, um, people who may not have had contact with dogs or have had a negative experience with them. Um, allergies comes up. Um, something that I hadn't considered until recently was religious observances. Um, and just how we sort of manage manage some of those. Um, and the what ifs, you know, what if the dog was to become distressed? What if the dog was to need time out? So just, I'm very much in favour. That's that's no secret whatsoever. Very much in favour of having a dog in a school. Um, but just, you know, playing devil's advocate, there are, you know, some things that might mean it's not appropriate, that it's not suitable. Um, but I think it is down to, having those consultations, really thinking things through. Um, and that isn't just for the dog, uh, for the students and the staff, it is for the dog as well. And we've, we've heard of things that will support the dog. So Helen, you mentioned having their own space, being able to take some time out. Um, you've obviously got some really clear boundaries there about the students not being able to access Honey when she has taken herself off to her bed. Um, I have a similar setup in, in my school where the students know that if Kelt is in the office, 
um, they cannot have immediate access to him. They have to come and ask and see if they are allowed to do so. Um, one thing I have found is that the students are really keen to, to work with the dog, um, but doing, doing his tricks, um, getting him to, to sit, to do a high five. Um, and he would do them all day because he loves to get a treat. So I've had to be sort of careful with the students and, and teach them a little bit actually about animal, animal care um, and making sure that they know that, yes, they can give him a treat. They should check first. Um, and also that he can't have too many in a day because he will not say no. Uh, he will just keep going and eating as many as are, are um, pointed in his direction. Um, and what, one other thing that has been important, um, and again, particularly for students who perhaps are not as familiar with animals as others, is actually how to approach a dog, how to approach a dog safely, how to know when to take a step back. Um, and what to do if anything like that were to happen. So, again, some really key sort of life lessons for some of the students, which hopefully are valuable, not just for them in school, but, let's say, in the wider world as well. Um, so, lots there, lots there about school dogs. Um, say, in summary, I am very much in favour. Um, Maxine, I think your phrase was, just do it, when I asked you about what you'd say to other schools. Um, and Helen, obviously, very much in favour, not just of dogs, but of having other animals in school as well. So very much a thumbs up from me and uh, my two guests as well. And thank you to both of you uh, for joining this evening. Now, just going to have one more quick break um, before I go on to um, another question to do with well-being, which was, what's the point? Um, but we'll come on to that in a minute. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Okay, so that was a little bit of information there from some of our sponsors. Thank you very much. Um, so 
School dogs, I had a, a lot of discussion about those. Um, they play a really key um, role in supporting well-being. So I was a little bit taken aback um, when last week I was actually asked, what's the point? What's the point in supporting well-being? Um, and to be honest, if you'd have asked me a couple of years ago, I might have said, what's the point? I have very much changed um, my thoughts on that and my mindset around well-being and mental health in schools. Um, and I thought that it was pretty clear why schools and other employers um, are placing much more emphasis on supporting the well-being and mental health of their staff. Um, so that question kind of got me got me thinking um, and I thought I'm just going to take some time to, to really listen to this person and where they're coming from. Why, why is it that they're asking that question? Um, but it, it wasn't a question about the reasons for schools supporting well-being in the here and now. When I really listened to them, it was actually about the need for it in the first place, um, almost like at all. And they were asking, how is it that the systems that are supposed to be there for reporting things like attendance and progress, um, the systems that schools are judged by, have got to the point where, where staff need so much support. Um, then we had quite a sort of interesting discussion around that and, and maybe uh, we decided that maybe the need was always there. Um, maybe the conversation has opened up, coincided with the wider discussion around inspections and workload. Um, I'm curious actually if anyone's listening and got any thoughts on that, um, please do text in if you're listening live, it'd be good to hear your, your opinions. Um, so we know there are issues in education around inspection and around the levels of accountability. Um, we also know there's a huge gap between the services available to support student needs um, compared to actually what schools are seeing day to day. Um, and also got us thinking when I was having this discussion uh, with a colleague that actually it's not just the services available to students, it's, it's also the services available to staff. Um, so we started thinking about what is going on here, um, the, the why. Um, and we thought about the fact that educators, teachers, teaching assistants, support staff, you know, all of the different roles, um, they play a really pivotal role in sort of shaping the future. Um, and that actually comes with a huge amount of responsibility. You know, you're nurturing young minds um, and building those skills so that the students of today can go out uh, and be the adults of tomorrow. And, and that kind of pressure can, can really take a toll. And there's, there's been some thoughts online at the moment around the amount of decisions that teachers are making in a day and just the kind of yeah, effort that's required um, in doing that at the same time as managing your class of 30 students and, and any other priorities you might have, any subject lead roles or whatever else it is you, you might be doing. Um, so, you know, digging into that question a little bit more um, sort of brought us back initially to the quality of education. And I haven't borrowed that phrase because it's from Ofsted. Um, that's, that's not at all where that came from. But it was about um, staff being at their best and being able to 
positively impact a student's learning experience. And if you have a staff who, who feel supported and, and they themselves feel emotionally balanced and regulated, they're in the best place to create a classroom environment that's, that's conducive to effective learning and also that they can then help regulate any students that might need support. And, and I say that working in alternative provision, you know, that is, that is absolutely key um, in my setting, but, you know, more and more so also in mainstreams as well. Um, so quality of education was was a real sort of key driver behind that question. Um, but we also talked about stress reduction and, and feeling satisfied in your job. Um, and just looking into some figures at the moment, the, the figures around recruitment of trainees show that targets were missed for primary and secondary. I think secondary was around 50% lower than, than what was actually uh, wanted and needed. Um, and then looking at the retention figures, um, that after 10 years, there's only 59% um, of staff who completed their training are actually still teaching. And 13% are leaving after just their first year, which is a huge amount. Um, so going back to why we support in wellbeing, um, we know teaching is demanding. It requires a lot of juggling. Um, you've got lots of responsibilities. There's lesson planning. There's the grading, there's all of the different student needs that you're trying to meet um, in usually an hour. Um, and, you know, that, that requires a lot of prioritising. Um, so then we started to think about if you prioritise staff wellbeing and you reduce stress levels in the same way as you do for students, do staff know what they're coming into? They know in advance if they've got cover lessons wherever possible they know in advance if there's a change to their day you know there's a christmas assembly happening or there's a visiting speaker coming in so you know their rooms being used it just means they can plan ahead they can think about some of the changes and and just be prepared really for those, those differences to their day so that was another sort of key thing behind that question of why are we supporting well-being um, and I suppose building from that sort of links into the school culture. So the staff contribute significantly to the culture of the school every day. All the things that they're doing, whether that's shared values, whether it's consistent application of behaviour policies and things like that, all of those things play a part in a culture and a set of values that will set up the day. And it's almost like a cyclical thing. If the students and the staff, if everyone's working in harmony, that cycle will keep rolling on in, in a positive direction. Um, if the staff feel supported in, in doing their job, in putting those policies into place, you know, that's when they're going to hopefully feel more positive. They're going to make other contributions to the school. You know, so many schools run, run extracurricular clubs or have school productions that are going on and, and lots of those are in staff's own time. If the staff are not feeling positive about the school, if they're not feeling that what they do is valued, why would they do those things that they know actually um, make a real contribution to the the holistic development of a student and you know their sense of achievement and their sense of well-being. Um, something else that, that came up when we were debating this, you know, why do we support well-being? 
um, was actually about role modelling. And this was something that I hadn't really thought about. Um, and, you know, this colleague said to me that, you know, as teachers, as school staff, we, we're role models for students. You know, we can all remember a member of staff, quite often a teacher, who, who you really liked, someone that, that got you, someone that genuinely cared about you. Not, ju not just how many marks you got in their subject and not just, you know, whether you made the sports team, but someone who cared about you as a person. And that sort of, we thought about, you know, in today's society, it's more important than ever. There are lots of students who don't have access to those positive role models outside of school or the, the values and the, the things that they're getting are perhaps in conflict with what they're being told at school compared to perhaps in their, their wider lives. So we, we went back to this idea of role modelling and that actually if staff feel supported, looked after, you know, they can role model to the students that actually self-care is important. Um, and if they, if we open up those conversations with, with staff and that we make it okay um, to have those conversations about well-being, you know, we can actually start doing that with the students as well. So it's okay for the students to talk to their, to their staff about well-being, whether that's that they're talking to their teacher, their, their head of year, um, to pastoral staff. And even better, if we can get students supporting one another. And I know there are lots of schools now who are looking at students being mental health champions, mental health advocates, or you know whatever kind of terminology they're using. And I think that's so important, um, so important now, especially when we know that access to services is, is so limited. So some really important um some questions that came from that initial why are we supporting well-being um and just sort of linked to that actually was was student outcomes and that wasn't just around their mental health but if they are feeling that they are more settled are more grounded they're able to go into lessons they're they're in a frame of mind where they're ready to learn um, and actually that's what we want as as school staff we want our students to learn we want to give them the best opportunities. And as all of that came from that one question, why are we supporting well-being? And actually, when we sort of summed up everything we'd had and sort of gone through in that discussion, um, it sort of came down to actually it's, it's supporting tomorrow. If we support the well-being of people today, it's actually supporting tomorrow for everybody, you know, whether that's teachers, adults, and, and the young people who will become the adults of tomorrow. Um, so really interesting discussion with that colleague from, from that one, one question. Um, I just wanted to say thank you at this point. I'm getting near to the end of, of my first show. Um, re really appreciate your time. Again, Maxine and Helen, thank you so much um, for joining me today. Um, for anybody whether you're listening live, whether you're listening on um, some kind of catch-up, um, please do check out the Teachers Talk radio pages on Twitter or X um, and LinkedIn. There's a lot of more shows coming up. Um, I know there's some special shows coming up next week um, because of the BET um, show. So if you're interested, they are Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. They are today at BET shows. Um, so just 
one final thing to leave you with, I suppose, before I sign off. Um, I've got a well-being word for the weekend. If anybody wants to add theirs um, in the chat just before we go, please do feel free. But my well-being word for the weekend is stillness. Um, and that is, that's partly because I have had a very busy week, but I know, you know, teachers, school staff around the country, it's always a very busy week. And I'm going to make some time for me where I can literally just stop, um, just stop and be with whatever is around me. Knowing me, that will be somewhere outside um, with the dogs. It might be cold, might be raining, who knows, but I will find a time when I can just go out there and just stop and just look around. What can I see? What can I hear? Um, and just take a minute to actually not do anything else, but just be, just be still um, and catch that sort of break before we go again next week. Anyway, um, thank you very, very much for listening. Thank you one more time to Helen and Maxine. It was great to have you. Um, Maxine, I can see you put outdoors there as well. Um, I might possibly have been able to guess that you would put something like that. Um, definitely something that works um, for me as well. So thank you there for your last little thought. Um, I will be back in two weeks' time, and I hope you will join me again then. It's been great doing my first show. I'm going to go and breathe now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.